professional side, um, worked in consulting, and then worked at my family business where we were selling services to K-12 schools and organizations, which um, I was always really interested in. And then when I found my first product management job about 10 years ago, uh, I made a very specific decision that I really enjoyed serving professionals and B2B businesses. So I kind of eliminated (laughs) consumer products out of my list of companies I was interested in. So for example, always loved LinkedIn, never even considered Facebook. Thank you. That's fascinating, actually, Mavim. Facebook sells ads too, though. Uh, Yeah. Oh, you know, that was my view 10 years ago. Fair enough. Fair enough. My journey was slightly different. I began my career, actually, I began my teenagers obsessed with airplanes. My biggest thing was that I wanted to design the sexiest jets on the planet. (laughs) That made me move from Bangalore in India to the United States to study aerospace engineering. And I spent lots of time building stuff in college, rocket engines, uh, the world's first hybrid airplane, autonomous drones, uh, autonomous robots that followed the line, whatever. And eventually I came to the conclusion that all tech is cool. And I got to go live my childhood dream of designing private jets at a company called Gulfstream. There was even a song about the jet I was working on, Fly Like a G6. And it felt very cool and very gratifying for a few years until I realized that aerospace continues to make planes that are slightly better over time. And I just wanted to move a lot faster. And at the point, I looked into the energy sector and tech and the speed of technology just really bowled me. It got me so excited that I could make a change ship something to lots of customers, make lots of impact, and then learn from something that I didn't get right and make things better. That cycle of iteration and feedback loop got me really excited. And I found myself managing tech products from New York onwards um, in the ed tech space, in the consumer app space, building messaging applications, in recruiting software platforms, one even a competitor of LinkedIn, but LinkedIn is really good. (laughs) And... Eventually, I moved to San Francisco because the industry uh, kind of happens in a miraculously fast way here. So Silicon Valley just called to me, and I found myself moving to SF Atulia. Awesome. Um, Both of your journey uh, are very inspiring, and I think for... Uh, it's not like common path for everyone. Everyone takes their own path, uh, but very interesting to know um, how you have landed on B2B product and what motivated you and uh, your uh, like uh, evolution. So the next question I have, um, maybe Pratik, you can take and Nathan, you can chime in if you have things to add. So the next question is, um, just to, uh, if there are folks, uh, just to level set, what is uh, B2B product management and how it is different from other product domains, um, if you can share uh, some of the details. Sure. Look, B2B product management versus product management, it's an evolution of a field that is already evolving quite quickly. In the United States Book of Jobs, 
a few years ago, there wasn't a mention of a job called product management. But in 1940s, Procter and Gramble wrote about the need for a person who was in charge of a particular line of products. They called that person the brand manager. This person made decisions to grow that line of business. They made decisions on how to package the thing, how it should be priced. This person basically ran a brand under Procter & Gamble, like a little company, because their entire obsession and goal was to satisfy customers and grow that business line. I think the art of product management evolved from that direction of having one person who feels very deeply responsible for owning the outcomes of a particular product. And today, product management in general is considered the person who coordinates with the engineering and design teams to bring something to market, but is also responsible for making priority decisions, strategic decisions, pricing decisions, long-term versus short-term trade-offs, uh, go-to-market strategy, and so on. All of that is needed in the B2B product world. And my sense is that the B2B product world looks at data differently. While consumer applications have incredible amounts of user data that are fed into machine learning models that lead you to insights about what is the user really interacting with on your platform, B2B products are less tracking every click of a button and more tracking the outcomes of the customers that are using them. And I can give some examples if you like. And you're developing an instinct about the market as well as an instinct about the customers to then drive your product strategy. So I think the field is evolving because the role of a product manager is becoming more and more critical in the world of technology. Nathan, would love your take on it. It's interesting. Uh, thanks for sharing, Prateek. Um, I think, uh, you know, I don't, uh, I don't think as much about history of product management, but that was super interesting. I really appreciate you sharing. I think for me, um, when I've talked, I haven't worked. I think of it as like there are different type of product skill sets or, you know, there's consumer product that does have a lot of, you know, high data uh, experimentation, statistic results, uh, you know, uh, there's, it's just, that's like the typical kind of consumer side. Um, there's B2B, uh, you have to understand user behavior, you have to try to predict what's going to go on, you want to have a high, you know, test a lot and see what works. I think B2B uh, has a lot of that dependent on what products you're working on, although sometimes it's more difficult to measure, sometimes it's a longer cycle. But I think, I almost think of it as it is consumer product plus you have uh, you know, uh, sales, <laughs> sales teams and uh, go-to-market teams, and you have inputs coming in really, really demanding and you know, strongly you know, for what the pain points are. I think sometimes the projects can be longer term. I think platform is also related to B2B in the sense that you know, maybe it is more difficult to measure. Maybe it is more... Um, you know, you can't do the traditional A-B testing or experimentation. So I almost think of it as like consumer plus go-to-market, having sales teams you're working with, almost like being like a general manager type. So that's kind of where I go with the differences of uh, B2B versus consumer versus platform. 
Wow, uh, this sounds uh, very interesting. Thanks, Pratik and Nathan. Uh, you have shared some very insight, uh, insightful uh, findings about, uh, I mean, in terms of uh, your experience, how uh, the B2B product management is different. And it's funny that you said like how uh, the experimentation uh, is a challenge in B2B space. We'll come back to that. I have questions on that. I have follow-up questions on that. But before we uh, do so, uh, any final thoughts on this or I have a follow-up question? Uh, you asked about how the B2B products uh, themselves are evolving too. Are you interested in the science of product management? Yeah, great question. Definitely, yes. Um, my, I mean, before I dive into that, uh, I was thinking, uh, like, in case there are professionals here who wanted to learn about how they can step into B two B product management career and what kind of skill sets uh, they need, uh, I would like to cover that first and then uh, come back to this uh, question. Sure, absolutely. So maybe uh, since you're talking, you can start and then Nathan can chime in. Um, on the topic of how people become. Yes. What, what will be your recommendations to professionals who are interested in starting a career in B2B product management um, in terms of like what qualifications they need or how they can build a career success plan towards it? I like that phrase, career success plan. Um, I think there's this elite, um, the walls are high before you can enter our space feeling about getting into product management. But it's a lot like ever tech jobs. A lot of tech jobs are lucrative, they are sought after, and so therefore the competition to get in is pretty high. But the demand for product management talent is endless. The issue is that people look at the resume and say, if you don't have prior product management experience, then we won't let you be a product manager today. So go figure it out. And that's the tricky part that gets people. I just tried to look at some of the people listening to our uh, session right now. And some of the audience is already in product management. Some is in analytics, some is in product strategy, which I find very fascinating. My sense is projects, and stories sell your story. So if you're interested in product management, but don't currently have a role in the tech world at all, then try to go um, build something with some friends. If you're a software engineer who wants to take the leap into product management, then you maybe already have the tools to try to go make an application, figure out a user problem, give it a prototype world, and then write about what you learned while making the prototype which gives you so much to talk about when somebody asks you to come for an interview uh, in that session. Landing the interview is so much about framing your experiences from a lens of user empathy and a lens of uh, prioritization frameworks and finally getting uh, outcomes out. So maybe this is a long answer, but there isn't a single path to becoming a product manager. Most of the most successful PMs I know were either doing design or some sort of finance or economics before, or they were in analytics or in engineering, which means anybody can be a PM. Uh, 
once you're in the field of product management, switching between consumer and business products is fairly easy. Uh, early in your career, it gets harder as you specialize. But if you're making a career plan, focus on examples. Can you tell a story of something that you built or you improved in the industry that you care about? And then share that story widely. Share it on LinkedIn, write about it, podcast about it. Uh, tell the world that you're interested in building stuff and the world will come to you. And then what do you think? Yeah, I think I think that sounds uh, all sounds good and relevant. It makes sense. Uh, I think for those interested in breaking into product management in general, I wrote a post called How I Got My First Value-Based Product Job in Five Weeks, where I do a pretty thorough write-up that I think is applicable not just to getting a product management job, but uh, getting any any job. I think the, some of the approach there that I recommend is uh, inventorying your skills, what you're uniquely good at, uh, using your network, coming up with target companies, casting a broad net, uh, asking for introductions, and uh, trying to break in. And um, and then in terms of B2B product versus consumer, uh, I think skill set wise, as I mentioned earlier, I think of it a lot as being a general manager. Uh, because you have Salesforce, because you have revenue, because you're you're working on you know very much in go to market, uh, I think that you need to you need to think like a general business person in addition to having the core product skill set. And uh, the way to do that, uh, I think spending time with customer, you know, spending time with customers, spending time with the business stakeholders, maybe FP&A, maybe business operations, interviewing them, getting to know how the business runs generally is a way of uh, developing that skills. Of course, reading, always learning, always growing as well. Um, Thank you, Nitin and Pratik. Um, I have read Nitin's article. Uh, that's definitely tremendously helpful for professionals who are trying for the first time. Highly recommend to read that. And Pratik, you have shared some very interesting uh, insights into evolution of B2B product management. So if you're in a consumer product early uh, in your career and then transitioning to B2B, probably easier. And I think one of you said consumer plus, that was uh, very interesting. And um, of course, like little down the, I mean, if you're like little late in the career, maybe mid-career professional and trying to switch to B2B product, then maybe background fit. And as you were talking about, uh, maybe do a project or a product, bring up, uh, I mean, um, show the value and post it on LinkedIn and podcast. That was very interesting. I see Ram has a question. Uh, I will invite Ram to uh, speak. Ram, I've invited. Go ahead, unmute yourself and you can ask your question. Hey, guys. Uh, hey, uh, thank you for inviting me here. Uh, so I have like couple of questions here. So uh, my first question will be, you guys mentioned there, there is a growing like demand in terms of B2B, right? So can you guys uh, showcase us like uh, what what industries are actually booming in terms of like a B2B segment? Mm. Um, I, I, 
Uh, I think it's risky business predicting the future. I actually just heard a talk um, from someone who, you know, a really well-respected product leader and mentioned that the way to get ahead of a wave right now, people need to, you know, a lot of people need to think it's a silly idea or a stupid idea, because if everyone already, already thinks that's a good idea, then you're probably not at the cutting edge of like, you know, a wave. It's probably already established and running. Um, and so uh, learning about Airbnb when it's like, oh, strangers are going to be sleeping on your couch and using your kitchen. Like when before that had happened, that was like the moment to say, hey, that's going to happen. I think in, in hindsight, it's a lot easier to see what those trends, what those waves are. But I think uh, into the future is a lot harder to identify the, the other like personal example of this is uh where i i think about what are my interests where can i drive the most impact where can i be most helpful um and uh when i first got into marketing solutions and advertising industry was eight years ago nine i don't know eight or nine years ago and uh it maybe wasn't the as prominent, as fast growing, as big as it was today. And I don't know if it could have been predicted necessarily in advance. And, you know, now I've been part of this group that's like 10x or 20x since I joined it. And, you know, have personally grown and, you know, the business has grown alongside that, uh, which, you know, part of it was, okay, being at a good company with a vision and, you know, a good technical foundation that's doing well. And, but, also, a part of it is very hard to predict. Pratik, I don't know if you have any other thoughts. I'm with you on the let's not play the game of predicting everything. Maybe the current stats might be helpful. What is changing across the globe is companies are coming away from on-prem technology solutions to cloud-based technology solutions. So while we think that a lot of the companies in Silicon Valley are already cloud-based, everybody already starts with AWS or GCP or Azure, a lot of industries have still not made the transition and are doing it now. So cloud technologies are getting more and more relevant and people who understand it and understand the architectures of those migrations or anything like that, they are highly sought after as product managers. The industries of financial technology are rapidly, rapidly becoming highly interconnected. So there's a whole bunch of activity in fintech. And I'm not, I don't exactly mean blockchain on that front. I think blockchain has lots of ebbs and flows. And in the B2B world, it definitely has lots of ebbs and flows. Uh, but real hard uh, financial applications that companies use as well as consumers. Um, there are probably a few industries that are moving to the cloud, like telecommunications, uh, real estate, and so on, that you hear about a lot in the mail. And then you might experience this a lot, like Nitin, on the ad side, a lot of stuff is now powered by machine learning applications, which weren't a thing 20 years ago. And lots of companies are trying to figure out how to use AI and machine learning ideas to maximize the potential of their business. Um, so if, if you're interested in those fields, it doesn't hurt to dive deeper and see which business is looking for talent like that. Yeah, I think um, I think that that all resonates 
with me. And I think uh, what's interesting about career choices, in my view, is it is uh, everyone can approach it in their own ways. What are their goals? They want to look their market, you know, the market size, market growth rates, try to predict that trend, try to carry that trend. Um, I wrote a post called My Product Strategy Approach, where I talk about trying to identify what those macro trends are and trying to build strategies around those trends. And, you know, um, at the same time, I, I also think having an interest in something and following paths that sort of nobody else is really looking at. And I'll give like a very personal example. Um, I published an article today about like, it's pretty dark topic trauma. Um, It's, you know, read seven books, consumed a bunch of podcasts, wrote this long article about this topic, which is not necessarily, is there a market trend around trauma? Probably not. But I think the space, I found the space interesting with my own belief, my own conviction, and going deeper and deeper and deeper into what what is the impact you want to make in the world? What are your values? What are your interests? What it, what do you uniquely bring? And then I you can sort of like carve out the opportunity from there and carry that out. I think can be really powerful. And now I'm looking at this and it's like, well, what are the companies that are helping with like you know trauma? It's, okay, there might be Headspace Health, there might be Calm, there might be you know, oh, psychedelics might be an emerging area. Like there might be uh, new therapy modes that are being delivered online. Like, so, so I think, um, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't discount what, what those unique things are that you are interested in to help figure out or what impact you want to have in the world. And then you can identify the, you can make the trend happen, whether joining something or making it your own. So Ram, did that answer your yep. question? Do you have any more? Um, yes, uh, uh, it did. But I have an I have a follow up for it though. So um, so based on what is on here, right? So are you guys actually referring to like a B two B B in B in like an internal PM? Is that what you guys are referring to, or is it like someone who who wants to transition from like a consumer focus into into being like an internal B inferred being like an internal PM, if you will, uh, is that how you guys like approach it, or how you guys how you guys actually define it, if you will? Um, I I was using B two B PM as almost interchangeable with like an enterprise PM or a PM. Like on the at LinkedIn, we have a consumer flagship side that's focused on engagement and you know bringing in new members, making them successful. Then we have sort of a monetization or B2B side or enterprise side that's focused on building out products, but also growing a business line. Okay, yeah, that sounds good, guys. Great. I appreciate it. Thank you. Great question, Raman. Thanks, Nathan and Pratik, for uh, sharing uh, some interesting insights about uh, what are the industries popular and what are the areas where B2B professional can thrive and shine. I just wanted to add one more thing since um, I have started my journey a couple of years back in data. I was always passionate about data. And Nitin, to your point, as you said, 
identify what that uh, excites you and maybe there is not a opportunity there but in future it will and six years back when i started um, in data space i never imagined that i can uh, eventually uh, transition to data product management uh, kind of opportunities but that uh, definitely opened up uh, opportunities for me and today i was able to successfully transition to a data product management field and uh, what was interesting to me is like the other question Ram asked, uh, internal versus uh, external products, and that happens in the B2B space. Well, my evolution was like that. I was uh, doing internal products before, and then eventually I transitioned to more external-facing product, but technical product that is being sold to technical users. So that's, again, a B2B space. And yeah, that was another interesting area if anybody is uh, exploring. So, um, sorry, somebody gig I found myself in was with a professor um, at Columbia. We were taking a course on personal leadership. This professor had a company that used to train employees at large companies on soft skills. The app was called Mentora. And I found the app fascinating because it was trying to tackle the problem of soft skills training, while most people are worried about hard skills like mathematics and data analysis and so on. And it was trying to do it via a technical medium, mobile apps. But the app was uh, full of uh, features that were clunky. The app had lots of issues around bugs. And I went up to this professor and I said, lovely concept. Uh, it actually really works and I've tried it and it helps me build some of these skills. But wouldn't it be better if it did X? Wouldn't these types of customers want Y? Could we make this part faster? And so on. And the professor invited me for breakfast and he was a little overwhelmed with how many things I wanted to change uh, about the application because I was so excited about it. And he just basically said, why don't you come join the team? And why don't you at least consult for us with all this feedback into how would you make these decisions, Mr. 2B MBA? And uh, we signed some sort of contract and we, I went off to go consult with his development team. And suddenly I found myself acting like a product management consultant, having never actually owned the role of a product manager. I'd run tech companies before, I'd done a bunch of product development as an engineer. But I found myself consulting for a company that already existed and made products. So yeah, to Nitin's point, pick something that interests you and the path uh, can be laid out in many different ways. Yeah, certainly. Thank you for uh, sharing your journey. That sounds very exciting. And how you approach like consulting and not even thinking about uh, acting like a PM and taking that role. Sometimes it is intimidating, but I think uh, once you uh, overcome your fear, it can uh, probably bring in a lot of good things. Um, right. So just interest of time, uh, I would like to dive into my uh, second question. I think Ram has already asked uh, another question that I had in mind. So great that we already covered that. 
So my, uh, since we were talking about B2B product industry, I think this will be a great question. Um, so what kind of unique challenges uh, B2B PMs face? And I guess uh, this is also tying back to something uh, we were talking earlier, like what the product management science and then the, how difficult it is to experiment in B2B. I'd love to hear more about this. Nathan, go for it. Yeah. Um, I, I think that the things that come to mind, so consumer product is really hard. And sometimes you're trying to build products in consumer where you don't, um, you know, you, uh, you don't know what you want to, you don't have enough data because it's some zero to one product. And so that makes it even really hard. I, I find B2B enterprise product to be just as hard as consumer product. And we have this added on layer of like a sales and go to market and sort of general management on top of it. Uh, I think for that, it makes it time becomes time is always challenging, but it's not only about discovery or experimentation or, you know, you, you need to be spending time with customers, you need to spend time with salespeople, with your support people, with account managers and, you know, business development. Like there's so much, uh, added complexity because it's not only about the product experience. It's also about running and operating the business on top of it. Uh, and so how do you divide up your time? How do you manage your time? How do you collaborate across those teams? Again, uh, at least in my world, the head, you know, we don't have general managers, so you might have the head of product for a line of business and the head of sales for a line of business, the head of marketing, head of engineering, all sort of operating collectively as the general management for that business. And, and so then how do you bring people along? How do you set up the communication architecture? How do you collaborate? How do you, you know, do the right forums, look at the right data together, uh, bring, I, I think all of this is, uh, probably, uh, you know, quite complex as, as I've experienced it as part of like a B2B product manager. Pratik, anything else or different that you would share? Um, I would add a couple of things. One, it depends on the stage of the company. Suppose you're a startup. Uh, Madhu, we'd love to hear your perspective as well. Suppose you're a startup that is trying to find product market fit. The job of a product manager is to lead the hypothesis generation, to figure out ways to validate that hypothesis, and then help execute as quickly as possible to figure out where exactly is the attraction. But suppose you're a company that is growing really fast. It's in the middle of hypergrowth. Uh, you don't really have to worry about product market fit as much as you have to worry about serving the insatiable demands of customers that you have found in the market. In that moment, the product manager's job is to figure out how to press the accelerator on that momentum, which may mean new product features or ideas, or it may mean investments in scale, or it may mean opening up new markets and expansion opportunities. Or it may mean just optimizing the funnel because you've already found the, the fit and now you just need to convert more users. These are themes that are quite 
different between the world of consumer products and the world of business products. In the business world, the sales cycle is usually not instantaneous. You're not selling to a customer that's going to download the app, try it, make a decision right then and there, or move on. You're selling to a person who actually needs to have that business problem, is looking for a solution to solve it, is probably going to spend some time thinking about a few different options. They may have stakeholders that are different. So the engineer may not be able to make the decision to commit to revenue. That, uh, that might be a decision that a VP makes, but the VP will never use the product. So you're making completely different uh, motions. As an example, uh, the company I work with called Twilio, we sell something called Flex, which is a contact sensor solution. The user of Flex is an agent that's going to be picking up your phone call when you call in for customer support. The second user of Flex is the customer, the consumer who's calling in for help. Now, both of these people are going to be the, the personas that interact with Flex the most. But the person who makes the decision to buy it is usually the chief technology officer or the chief information officer. That person will never actually use a contact center software. But what they're looking for is analytics around call volume. They're looking for efficiency around how quickly a customer support case can be handled with the lowest costs and the lowest number of contact center agents that they have to hire. You're, you're now suddenly building software that's going to be delightful for two completely different people, but appealing to a buyer who's uh, sitting in a different office and looking at completely different metrics. This is different from a consumer app, right? When you're developing features for Instagram, you are really maximizing on engagement and stickiness. When you're developing a product like Flex, you're really maximizing on multiple dimensions that uh, you didn't even know before you started the discovery process. So the challenges are different, I would say. Yeah, that's very interesting. So uh, I was just listening to both of you and I was trying to summarize. I think Nitin brought up three different areas like collaboration, experimentation, and collective decision making, looking mm -hmm. at data. And I'm sure like there are tons of other uh, challenges across the world, like being uh, connecting the dots between sales or engineering mm -hmm. or design, go to market. There's so much going on. And uh, Pratik, the way you uh, kind of uh, explained, which was interesting, uh, starting with a startup and looking at growing uh, companies and what are the different challenges. In fact, uh, in the startup, uh, you brought up like we're still uh, finding out product market fit. And uh, that's an interesting thing. Couple of challenges I've been facing or um, mm -hmm. seeing. Uh, one that you already called out, uh, which is product market fit, fit and then validating hypothesis. That's actually, um, yeah, that's a problem that we are facing. And in fact, it is interesting that the way uh, we were trying to tackle, and I would love to hear, I mean, my later follow-up question is some of the advice or tips. Uh, but one thing I'm seeing, the space I am in, uh, it's open source uh, solutions. So we're trying to open source um, or source available and then trying to see if more and more users are trying it out and if we could uh, validate hypothesis a little bit quicker than the sales motion because as you said like sales motions takes 
very long time and uh, we may not learn faster and fail faster so that's definitely something mm-hmm. a big challenge i would love to hear from both of you um, like after this um, if there are any advice or tips uh, in terms of uh, what we can do differently um, the second th- challenge i see is identifying that perfect target segment that's also uh, been a big chal- challenge like being part of an early stage startup or a early stage product besides that i think you brought up another point which stuck to my head uh, which is the customer support and that's also i'm seeing uh, a big challenge like how you will balance your innovation and cu- customer support especially in tech uh, side or b2b side yeah so these are some of the things that stood out for me um so would love to hear from both of you uh, if there are any advice or tips how uh, yeah how these challenges can be tackled better we we also have a question from the audience as he vrunjal oh yeah or, uh, thanks nitin for they're they're raising his hand but um Maybe, do you want to let the audience participate a little bit and then yes. we'll go back to your questions? Yes, so okay. definitely. Thanks. Uh, thanks. I didn't see that. Thanks for seeing. Yeah, Brunjal, I invited you to the stage. You can unmute and talk. Yeah, Madhuri, thank you so much for setting this up. Um, this has been a fascinating discussion. Um, Pratik Nitin, thanks, thanks for all your thoughts uh, so far. Um, I just wanted to echo um, some of the challenges that Pratik was was talking about uh, with regards to maybe a seed stage B2B startup and the challenges around sales process that you have to you have to manage. Um, you know, just in in my experience, um, what I have noticed is you know starting almost like a consultant and having a very deep knowledge around pain points in a specific vertical, and then maybe using that insight to uh, maybe formulate ideas that would allow you to develop a product out of it. Um, the other thing I just want to quickly comment on, Madhumita, is um, the question you know, that you posed around the challenges you're facing. Um, around segmentation, product market fit. Um, one of the things I have also noticed is, um, you know, providing consulting or services to the industry. And then, you know, based on that, identifying sort of patterns that would help you define a product that can be developed on the site. And so you're kind of dog fooding. <laughs> the 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 product that you're making to offer your services and then maybe slowly over time you you can get to a product market fit and then figure out a go-to-market strategy for that uh, so just two comments i had um, and then this last question was from nitin um, he talked about this concept of communication architecture um, around consensus and decision making just wanted to learn more about that Okay. Um, I've been trying to take notes and of all the, I think I'm counting at least six questions so far <laughs> from uh, the various folks. So uh, I can, I can try to, so one, w- one initial 
reaction is like, I've been working at LinkedIn for eight years and I was at a startup for one year before that. I was at my family business uh, six years before that. And what I find about, and the, you know, I've been at both small and large, I, what I find about the small businesses, the startups, um, is that they're really fragile. It's like, you're always fighting to like figure out your differentiator frequently against better funded competitors who have more people. And, you know, it's just, it's really, really challenging. You're fragile and you're under, you know, under the gun time, timeline wise, you don't have as much, um, and uh, I, I think uh, what, when, if I were to go back into a smaller business, I, I would say finding product market fit, like what comes to mind to me is getting as deeply enmeshed with the customers you can. I used to have an old manager who would say like at least 15 interviews a quarter, customer interviews a quarter, and like really deeply, deeply having that customer understanding, I think. Uh, Clayton Christensen might have written up, or maybe it was someone else, the uh, competing against luck uh, about the jobs to be done framework. So it's like, what is that problem? What is that? Uh, I Again, my post on pr product strategy, I'd say having being very clear on the, the problems or the jobs to be done, what um, the opportunities are, what you want to build, what how you measure success, what impact you're going to drive. I think our old LinkedIn old CEO, Jeff Wiener, wrote a post vision to values. I think like if I had more of that thinking, that strategic thinking and that structure and that um, uh, customer focus, I think I, I would have been more likely to have been successful, you know, even more successful in the earlier ventures. Um, I think uh, there's another question about communication architecture. Uh, ben Horowitz wrote this post. Uh, that the toughest job of a CEO is is designing the communication architecture of her company. And I think that I think of that as like every meeting, every update, how we coordinate, how we collaborate, how we work together. A LinkedIn uses this model called a five day alignment. And I think Bain or you know developed it initially. Uh, if you look for rapid and Bain or BCG or, you know, one of those consulting firms uh, and the idea there being be very clear who's making a recommendation, who needs to agree to it, and then who's performing it, who are we informing, who's deciding. So that's like the RAPID. And uh, if someone disagrees, then the five-day alignment is uh, both people who disagree can collaborate together, define a rapid, write a joint document in, in a clean and open way share it with whoever the decider is. And then finally, Amazon has this principle, which you know resonates with me, about disagree and commit. So you make a decision. And even if you're on one side and someone else on a different side, both sides have to commit to the decision that gets made. And I think these concepts of five-day alignment, rapid, and disagree and commit combined together can help for like really great uh, decision-making, collaboration, and velocity. Um, Pratik, I don't know if you want to add on anything there, but the other questions that I caught were around segmentation support. And I don't know if you want to add anything on the startups or product market fit. I really love the the wonderful references you brought up, Nathan. I, I, I think fragile is fine. It's totally true. There's also this flexibility that comes as a strength. 
of being in a startup. Large companies, when they want to sanction an experiment, you need a rapid to make that decision. Uh, we use that same concept at Twilio here too. Smaller companies, when you want to run an experiment, you look around, you recruit some people who can help you make that experiment happen, and then you go chase it. Large companies, if you want to schedule a bunch of customer interviews, there's a series of protocols to follow in terms of what a customer interview is constituted as. Uh, smaller companies, every interaction with the customer, you're looking for nuggets that you will catch um, insights about their behavior. And you're constantly trying to prove your hypothesis wrong to make the hypothesis better, I imagine. Uh, so my sense is that the speed at which you can execute actually helps you accelerate progress faster when you have a nimbleness built into the culture. Uh, you mentioned that CEO's job is um, one of the hardest components is the communications architecture. I absolutely agree. I think the flow of how communication happens very quickly without friction in a company is that CEO's uh, difficult job. And then the transparency and candor that people actually bring to every conversation, if they can nail that, then the culture of a company becomes really delightful, worth working at. Product managers can do a lot to enforce that. I think if PMs approach uh, almost every interaction with the sense of customer empathy and a sense of team empathy that our team is trying to come up to these outcomes, these are the challenges along the way. These are 20 different things that we don't really know that we're going to go find out from the market. And therefore, here are the decisions we are making based on this context. And here's how we're going to measure success. That goes a long way in getting out of the sense of chaos and confusion and into the sense of, all right, we're making progress. We're either learning something as quickly as we can, or we're making um, progress and finding out that what our assumptions were, were wrong. Yeah, Pratika, I have a quick question. You shared some good points. Um, as you were talking about uh, in an early stage startup, uh, you really learn from that single or very few customers you have identifying the nuggets. How uh, to stay away from bias? Like, obviously, you're trying to prove your hypothesis becoming like not like, uh, I mean, you, you're trying to improve your hypothesis, um, but sometimes uh, there is a chance that if you're talking to only a handful of customers, there will be a bias. And uh, yeah, overcoming bias would be a big challenge I've seen. That's such a good question. I actually just read a book about that called The Mom Test by Rob Fitzpatrick. It's uh, about 100 pages. It's a short book. And the main central focus is if you were to ask your mom, hey, mom, this is my good idea. Do you think it's a good idea as well? Mom will not say no. Mom will say, yes, of course, it's a lovely idea. And uh, that's also the key with only talking to a couple of biased people who may have already engaged with your product and so on. Uh, the, the answers are many, but the gist of the mom test is this. You can't ask leading questions in the sense you can't throw your idea at somebody and ask them if it's good. You have to ask them what are the problems they're facing without telling them anything about your idea. The second is when you're having this conversation, you're really not trying to ask about what would they do in the future. 
So as an example, if you're trying to sell uh, a link uh, lead generation tool, basically something that somebody can put in their LinkedIn bio or their Instagram bio, and you say, hey, if I had these wonderful features, would you use it? They'll most likely say yes, because they don't want to break your heart. You should ask them, what have you done in the past? So if somebody tells you, hey, I'm standing in line trying to buy this ticket. If only there was an online solution to buy this ticket, I would pay more for it. You shouldn't ask them, oh, if there was this online solution, would you go use it? You should ask them, have you looked for it online before? And if they say, yes, I've looked for it. I tried a couple of apps. They didn't do this or they didn't do that. Suddenly you have a prospective customer who isn't just complaining about something. He, that person is actually actively seeking a solution. And you're asking them about past behavior rather than, uh, you know, would you do this? And the last is you aren't actually limited to only talking to your customers, right? If you're, especially if you're in a smaller startup, you're, uh, you have unlimited reactions with people. Suppose you have an idea right now and there are seven people, 20 people, 50 people listening to this particular uh, live session. You could actually throw it out there and say, does anybody else have this kind of a problem at the moment? What are they doing about it? And suddenly it becomes not a formal interview, but a data gathering exercise. And I'm basically constantly searching for nuggets. I'm constantly telling my team, I learned this from a customer today. And my team usually is like, yeah, I heard this as well from the salesperson. And then I reach out to the salesperson and say, hey, dive deeper into that with me. Um, it just never ends. I'm constantly trying to understand our customers better. I think you have answered my question. Thank, thank you for sharing all those details and that's really helpful. I know we are very close to the time. Uh, in fact, like I think over time, uh, I see Andrew had raised hand. Maybe we can take one question from him and then we will wrap up. Andrew, go ahead, unmute yourself and ask question. Awesome. Well, thank you, Manamita, for setting this up, and and Nitin and Pratik, this was this was fantastic. I uh, I'm coming from LinkedIn, focused on pricing, or maybe you know, I guess considered like the later stages of the product life cycle. Interested in in earlier stages, and, and that's something I'm trying to grow in myself. But one thing I'm curious about, I know that when you're building products for you know B2B customers, there can be a big variation in some of the clients you're serving. My, my current role is focused on some of the larger enterprise programs that we have, but there's also the needs of some smaller businesses, medium-sized businesses, and those needs can, can differ vastly between you know the, the both sides of the spectrum. I guess I'm just curious what, what thoughts that uh, you both had on prioritization and how to wrap your mind around some of the things that you could do for, for customers and clients on uh, both sides. Of, of that coin yeah that's a that's a great question um, I I think <clears throat> prior prioritization uh, depend my view is it depends on strategy and again I would go back to the my product strategy approach what you're trying to accomplish your vision your principles the metrics I think um, the their large budgets for bigger customers in general, but they generally have more requirements, harder sales cycle, more challenging. Uh, what is the TAM? What is your unique offerings? What is the likelihood to do it? What are the historical growth rates by segment? I think the long tail can be incredible. You have a diverse set um, of customers that's more potentially resilient. It's not like, hey, one customer pulls out and you know your overall business goes down. Um, same time, it you know the deal sizes aren't going to be as large. 
the support volume might be really high. So you have to figure out like maybe more scaled support structures to support a long tail. I think um, there have been successful businesses that have gone top down, you know, successful businesses that have gone bottom up. And I think it probably just depends on the unique circumstances of that individual business or product area. I, I think you have to just segment your approach. Your, um, like Nitin said, you might dedicate a lot more resources to the larger cohort, and then you might dedicate some self-serve resources to the long tail cohort. And because the customer base segments itself and their spending patterns and so on, your approach to them should also segment. It's similar to how your bank will treat you. If you're a high spending customer, a customer support person will pick up right away. Um, and if not, you get into the IBR queue. Madhu, we have only three minutes, so one yeah. hundred already. Yeah. Um. So I just, yeah, I think Andrew, did that answer your question? Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for the input there. Um. Yeah, we can wrap it up. Uh, Pratik and Nitin, any final uh, thoughts uh, that you would like to share and. Uh, the other question I have is if anybody would like to get in touch with you, what will be the best mode to do that? Uh, just no final thoughts. Appreciate you organizing this session. And uh, if anyone wants to get in touch, LinkedIn is the best way for me. I'm sure it is, Nitin. I think you're biased towards that particular platform. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm very excited about folks being so interested in the topic. I think that the world of business technology specifically is exploding. Uh, I read a stat somewhere that uh, enterprise technology sells to the tune of $3.7 trillion across the world, which is larger time than any of the pitch decks I've seen before. And I think it's a fascinating space. Uh, recently, I tried to compile a bunch of the lessons I've learned about building this kind of product space. Uh, from a small company lens, from a product market fit lens, from a large lens, hyper growth lens, into a course that's only four weeks long. That's called B2B product management for hyper growth. And if folks are interested in it, uh, we can find you some discounts and so on. But since you've expressed interest by showing up here, we want to express gratitude. Thank you so much for showing up. And if you're interested in diving deeper into the topic with a cohort of people, uh, we're doing a product management course starting later this month and reach out to me on LinkedIn and we'll get you connected to it. Great. Um, thank you, Nitin and Pratik. Uh, first of all, um, spending a long hour with us and uh, also sharing some insightful uh, tips and advices from your experience, which was very inspiring to many of us. I really enjoyed and loved the session. I am going to summarize this and also will be posting uh, uh, newsletter digest of this uh, AMA session. So folks who could not attend, they could get an access to it. And thank you for all the audiences who attended and being patient and heard through the uh, session and also asked a lot of interesting questions and made it super interactive. So thank you again, and it's a wrap. And uh, hopefully we'll meet in some future AMA sessions. Thank you. Thanks, Madhu. Thank you.